I'm going to start by saying I'm so happy to see my pastor's wife. Praise the Lord. Um, I give honor to Sister Herring and Pastor Herring for letting me be in this position today and minister to you all. It really is a privilege that I don't take lightly, and I know we always say that, but we always mean it, so praise the Lord. I'm going to be reading from Psalms 15 today. I'm going to read it in two translations, but I'm only going to make you stand for one. So, <laughs> Psalms 15 in the KJV says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. You, let's pray for this service. Brother Stacy. Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy and we honor you and we give you all the praise, Lord. I pray that you'd have your will in this house tonight. Bless this place, bless every mind, bless all these ears, bless all these hearts in this place. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Praise the Lord. I'm going to read this again in the NLT. I just happen to like it. It says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent, such people will stand firm. If I could put verse 1 in my own words, I would say, Lord, who belongs in the church? Verse 3 says, those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. I want to speak on something tonight, and that is having a burden for the body. I've been reading a lot out of um, Psalms because Pastor brought up that, I don't know what we call it, this book as a, something to be reading in our daily walk. To, but um, I've also been reading out of Genesis recently and the story of Joseph I've been studying in particular just because... I felt the unction of the Lord, too. And um, there's a scripture that stands out to me. I began to reference this on the board if you read this. So, yes, I'm saying it twice. But <laughs> it says in Genesis 41, this is when um, Joseph has just interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And so my question, my question to you is, what does it take to be obviously filled with the Spirit of God? I feel like Joseph's obviousness goes a little bit deeper than him just interpreting the dream tonight. Referencing the original passage that I read, it says, what should people do? That, what should people that dwell in the tabernacle act like? Well, I think there's something in Joseph's life that's pretty evident that makes him stand out. And that's that he loves people. In particular, he loved his family. Despite what they did to him when he, they sold him into slavery. He had an unfailing love for his family. He looked out for them as a leader in Egypt. He fed them, and he wanted to see them again after what they had done to him. 
And all this reading in Joseph and Psalms, I felt the Lord prompt me to talk about a love or a burden for the body of Christ, our family in Christ, the bride at the church. So how do we obviously be filled with the Spirit of God? I think one of the ways that we can be obviously filled is by loving the body. I saw something one time. It said, how are you supposed to convince the world that you love a God that you can't see when you can't even show them you love people that you can see? Pastor preached a message um, a while back, and it stood out to me. He said something. um, He said, if you hear someone complaining about the body, it should hurt you. It should prick your heart. It it should. (laughs) It really physically, because the thing is, is, with the indication of scripture, we are made one when we're a part of the body. So when someone's complaining or gossiping or speaking negatively of the body, they're speaking negatively about you. And so that should convict you. If you or a part of the body has been infected, you're now infected too. Ephesians 4, verse 2 through 6 says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. This tells me something. We serve one God and we're a part of one body. That makes us a team. Sister Churchill taught a message to the ladies one time in a split session. She called it the job of a her. It was a play on words. Any of you ladies remember this message? Um, It really stuck out to me. Maybe it was the catchy name. (laughs) I remember Uncle Stacy was saying something about he hopes we remember his message because of his catchy name. (laughs) But... um, It was, a, it was a play on words because she, she was talking about the job of a her, H-E-R, a woman, but she was referring to the passage um, when her, H-U-R, is holding up the arm of Moses in the time of battle. And this is when the Israelites were fighting in a battle against the Amalekites, and any time that the man of God's arms dropped, they would start to lose. But any time his arms were held up, they would be winning. And so the job of the her in that case was to be there when the man of God or our brother or our sister was weak to hold them up. (laughs) That was their job. (laughs) And the thing is, is in this passage in particular, but often in the church too, when Moses fails, we all fail. That's what part of being the body is. When half the church is suffering, suffering from fear, we're all battling fear. The ones that have wisdom or have fought this battle before or are maybe stronger in that moment ought to go pray with the ones that are weakened only for a time. Because we're not, one person is not perpetually the weak one. We all go through seasons. We we're all are in different stages in our walk with God, but we all go through seasons. Sometimes some of us are going to be weaker. Some of us are going to be stronger. And we have to bind together in those moments and be there for one another. Because we can't have revival when half the church is plagued and sick. I mean, that's just the truth. (laughs) Some of us 
are only praying for revival to come from outside the church. That's great. I'm praying that revival would come from within our church too. And I just know in my heart that if we could start shaking chains and binding things that, have been, that we've been bound by for years as a church in one mind and in one accord, nothing could stop us. Nothing could possibly overcome us. I felt compared, compelled to uh, share a dream that I had a couple years ago. Don't clam up on me. It wasn't ooky spooky or anything like that. So it was just a dream and I felt the Lord taught me something. Um, in this dream, I'm... I'm standing in a room, and it makes sense because at the time I was a Sunday school teacher. And I'm in this room with multiple children from the church. Not all of them, but quite a few of them. And in the front of the room, there's a door, and an intruder comes in. And it wasn't like a demon or anything like that. It was like something you'd see from a movie. He was souped up with, like, AR-15s and stuff like that on his back. So he comes in, but what he's doing is he's trying to steal the children, and in my dream, I just began, I told the Lord, don't let me be emotional in this moment. It really touches my heart. But in that moment, I was just anointing them all in the name of Jesus and praying for them and interceding for them. So when I woke up from that dream, I, um, I felt the presence of the Lord with me saying that put a burden on my heart personally to pray more for the children in our church. Because... They're a part of the body too, you know? <laughs> and not only that was I going to pray more for the children in our church, but I was going to pray for parents, that they would lift up a standard in their home, that they would be strengthened when they're weary. And thank you, Jesus. And I've, I want you to know that I pray for your kids with a fervency. I know I'm not a Sunday school teacher anymore, but I have taken it upon myself to Pray, with your, pray for your children the way that I would want my children to be prayed for. Because that's what being a part of the body is. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 18, this is a little bit longer passage. It says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and we all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? But if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. We all have a different aspect of the body that makes us unique. Not everybody can be a sound person. Not everybody can be a music leader. Not everyone can be a teacher. But together we make a singular functioning body that works for the goodness of Christ. And I just, we can be there for each other when we're weak. I'm talking about having a burden for the body. I have a burden on my heart, so and I, I want to close. I'm not quite closing. I don't know why I put that there in my notes. <laughs> I have a burden on my heart, and that's that we can break through the battles we are facing if we cover our brothers and our sisters in prayers like we were the one that were hurting. Like we were the one that was in need. If we 
took up the needs of our brothers and sisters like it was my need. My husband, he always says to me whenever he's happy, he's like, your happiness is my happiness. (laughs) But with that in turn, your sadness is my sadness. And that's what it's apart, being one flesh, being married. But being the bride, that's what it's like. To do this, we need to be in unity. I know I had this thought when I was like, I'm going to talk a little bit about unity. I remembered this time when Pastor was speaking one time, and he said, all those people that say, unity, 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 are usually the ones that are part of the problem. So (laughs) I was like, I probably should tread lightly. (laughs) But um, (laughs) it um, took me a while to learn, though, what he meant. But I know now that what he's, what he's referring to is that, that person that's saying, well, we can't have unity because sister so-and-so is always messing it up with her bad attitude. That's the kind of person he's talking about. <laughs> when the reality is that if you want to be a person that is promoting an atmosphere of unity, you need to be praying prayers about yourself, <laughs> not about other people. <laughs> that's how you promote unity. You bind up bitterness in your own heart. <laughs> first. <laughs> and you, you bind up unforgiveness in your own mind first. <laughs> That's how you promote an atmosphere where unity can dwell. One thing I like to think about when I'm like, man, I really am struggling to form a relationship or a dynamic with this person. I remind myself of the scripture, Romans 14, 19. It says, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and their things wherewith one may edify one another. If you're seeking after creating an atmosphere of unity with someone, edify that person. Lift them up. That's how you create an atmosphere of unity with someone. And if you're struggling tonight, don't struggle alone. I I pray for our church that we could pinpoint the areas that parts of the body are struggling with specifically. That we would have a judgment-free zone and you could go to an elder and say, you know what? I'm struggling with addiction and I need prayed for it. You know, I, I wish that because that's the devil likes to hide and he's going to tell you to keep those things a secret. But if we start to uncover the lies of the enemy and reveal him, he can't be held captive any longer. We'll be able to tear him down. So I pray that if you're struggling tonight, that you wouldn't struggle alone, that you'd find an elder that you trust, or you'd find a brother or a sister that you trust, and we could begin to tear down and dismantle the lies of the enemy, that we could bind together in unity, in one mind, in one accord. And that I know that the Lord is going to help us conquer the wiles of the enemy together. Together. Thank you. (laughs) Praise the Lord God. Good word. Oh, my. Hallelujah. God is good to us. Oh. I just want to talk about, just for a short time... Three areas of preparation. They, the old song, Sister Lydia, she can sing it like a bird. It is well. Praise God. But I think in this hour that we're living in, 
Brother Pleo, we need to start singing the song, Is It Well With Our Soul? <laughs> As a continual reminder of I need to be prepared. The Bible says in Psalm 107 and 31, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 32 says, Let them exalt Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. He turneth the rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry grounds. It's the ability to flip it towards the, what we would think the good side or the bad side. Fruitful into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turneth the wilderness into standing water and dry grounds into water springs. The Bible says in verse 36, And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation. Look at this. What do hungry people do? They prepare. Praise God. If we're hungry and if we want to make it to heaven and we're not somehow lost in the sauce in our mind and just uh, going through the motions of life, we've got to know that we must prepare. Hey, if you want to, if you want to eat dinner tonight, if I want to eat dinner tonight, I start thinking around 4 or 5 o'clock, okay, what are we going to eat? Start thinking, you know. My wife says, let's eat this. I'm thinking, I don't want that tonight. So my mind starts turning. And then I start going to the store. This is really deep, I know. And I start putting ingredients together. The other night I made meatballs. I thought they were good. Wendy never called and told me they were good, so if you... I think she hated them, but I liked them. But you got to prepare if you want something to eat. If I want to drive a clean car tomorrow, I might want to clean it today, right? If I want a retirement, Brother Rob, I might have to start putting some money in the bank or whatever. <laughs> prepare. John 14 and 1, Brother Wes, I'm aware that you preached something like this probably a few months ago, but I'm not intimidated by that because I know that this is something that we need to think about every single day. Prepare. 14 and 1 of John said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now the world, or some folks would say, I would submit to you today that if we're not preparing, he's not preparing. I think there's enough Bible all over the Bible to make us to realize if we're not preparing, he won't be putting logs and whatever they have in heaven for building supplies together for us. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 and 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. I realize that's prophetic uh, of John the Baptist, and we have the fulfillment of that in Matthew 3, 3. But 
it's also very um, pointed towards us. We need to prepare for the way, the way of the Lord, right? Because he's coming soon, and the second time, and without preparation, it's not going to be good. Proverbs 30 and 25, the ant, ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. They're always preparing. I don't know if you've ever watched ants, but man, they are always busy. The only time they're stopping is because they're contemplating. Should I pick this thing up? Should I go that way or this way? Do I smell? You know, they're going constantly preparing. That's what they do. Amos 4 and 12, therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, he said, prepare to meet thy God. So it's pretty, awesome, pretty obvious today that God is saying preparation is necessary. First Peter 3 and 15, he said, be ready always little phrase. I know it's talking about something else, but this, is a, this, this works as a blanket statement for Christian trying to make the rapture be ready always. Revelation 3 and 2 says, be watchful. <laughs> Synonyms for prepare are arrange, develop, and there's a lot more than this. Equip, Gird, I like that one, sounds biblical. Plan, qualify, strengthen, train, anticipate, construct, fix, perfect, build up, make provision, put in order, put together, pull together. <clears throat> First area of preparation is personally readying ourselves. I was looking at Matthew 24, recently 25, and I just started reading these parables once again, and I noticed some threads going through there. You know, you notice different um, threads whenever you see uh, certain parables, it seems like, in a succession, kind of like the, you know, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, the thread. <laughs> and... Um, <clears throat> One of the things I noticed out of Matthew 25, and it's not really my message, but, it's, but, but really it is connected to the, the, this, this non-preparedness. And I notice a thread in the three parables in 25, Matthew 25. Matthew 25 has the ten virgins. It has the talents, five, two, and one, that are given to the, the ones that are supposed to uh, earn money with uh, what they've been given and then the last one, I'm not sure if it's really a parable, but Jesus is foretelling of how he's going to deal with uh, people that have said, uh, um, you know, or people that have not done certain things, like um, going to the prisons, and, you know, you, you know the scripture probably. Um, and so, but there's a thread that goes through them all, and one of them is that there's this, this entitlement thread and, and it, it seems like, to me, Brother Wes, you can correct me later if I'm wrong, 
But it seems like it's like a spirit of the age, a very strong spirit. And the reason why it's strong is because there's so many people that have gotten on board with it. But it's all through these three parables. You can see it very plainly. It's not really my message, but it definitely connects with being not prepared, doesn't it? But in Matthew 25, um, the virgins, the ten virgins, and five were wise, five were foolish. And it's been said before, but it's, it's always interesting to look at the fact that Jesus is not blanket statementing, statementing like talking about this broad spectrum of vile sinners versus people that go to church. It's a little more narrowed down than that, but yet there seems to be this great chasm between the foolish and the wise. It's narrowed down, but there's a huge chasm there because five were foolish. Like Pastor Herring preached, that's very strong. But then five were wise. Five went into the, with the bridegroom, which equals eternity with Jesus, and five went to eternity somewhere else. But it's interesting that five were, uh, they were all virgins, Brother Playo. You mentioned that recently. All of them were pure. All of them were abstaining from the things of this world and living right. They were all pure. They were trying to think the right things, do the right things. Five were wise, five were foolish. And five, and they all had, excuse me, a lamp that was burning. Now, you know, that's pretty impressive. You know, you come to church, we all put on our best face, we all seem like we got a burning lamp. They all had burning lamps. You see the fine line here, but, but yet it's a great chasm. And then you, you have the, the five of all ten of them. Why do I keep saying that? I don't know. All ten of them arose and trimmed their lamps. Now this you can easily, the lamp is the word of God in the Bible, so... All of them had the doctrine right. All of them believed and lived um, uh, Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear all Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They all had, seemed like they had their ducks in a row. But five were foolish. (laughs) Five of them were not prepared. And it's interesting. Five weren't ready. Five didn't have oil. Man, they had a lot of stuff right. They would be welcome here. Praise the Lord. But they weren't ready, they were foolish. Jesus said, Depart from me. You that work iniquity. Have you ever 
Notice that verse in, in one of the Gospels, Jesus said, in that day you shall come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we've done this, we've done that, we raised the dead, we saw a thousand people receive the Holy Ghost, we, we did miracles in your name, and he said, depart from me. And have you ever kind of tried to figure that one out? That's pretty intimidating. But the answer is, is that they were not prepared. They, and, and, and more specifically, they were not intimate with the Lord. Or in other words, they didn't have oil. You understand the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God can, God can be, you be pleased with you one day and do a bunch of stuff, Brother Playo, but if you don't keep your oil level up, His callings and gifts are without repentance, but we can still blow it because we're not ready. Give me oil in my lamp, keep it burning. Praise the Lord. Is it well with my song? <laughs> Come on. That's what I'm talking about. They didn't have oil. And praise the Lord. They, what they lacked was oil. Now let me talk about oil for a moment. Oil lubricates when used for that purpose. There is little friction and wear among those who will be lubricated by the Spirit of God. Oil heals and was used as a medicine and restoration. Oil lights when it's burned in a lamp where the Spirit of God is, there is light. Oil warms when it is used for fuel, for a flame. Where the Spirit of God is, there is warmth and comfort in God. Oil invigorates when used to massage the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God invigorates us for His service. Oil adorns when applied as a perfume. The Holy Spirit adorns us and makes us more pleasant to be around. Oil polishes uh, when it's used to shine metal. The Holy Spirit wipes away our grime and smooths out our rough edges, just to mention a few things. Somebody else wrote that. Praise the Lord. David Guzik or whoever he copied. Hallelujah. It takes it takes oil. It takes preparation. The problem with the first, or with the, with the unwise five, was that they had enough, and I mentioned this back there a few services ago, they had enough oil for daytime use, but they didn't have enough oil for nighttime use. They knew that they were going out of oil. Oil. 
I had somebody tell me years ago, Brother Playle, and they, were, they used to be very given to the welfare mentality. And this person told me that I, would, I will spend my money for the week knowing I can go here and there and there to borrow money. Or in other words, I know I'm running out of oil, but I think I can somehow at the last minute you know, Jesus is going to come on one of my good days, right? Ooh, maybe not. Oh, where are we at? Did I already pass my limit? Oh, goodness, how long ago? I looked up and saw. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I can be done now. <laughs> I don't look at the clock. <laughs> I'm sorry. God is good. God is good to us. We need oil. We got to be ready. Praise the Lord. Well, I talked about one area of preparation. <laughs> Maybe you can finish it up. Good preaching, good preaching. How many want to have their lamps filled? Have it filled. That theme you talked about, Brother Stacy, that, that runs through there, that I can get, that give me, that selfish give me, give me, I can borrow, I can get by without doing it, without laboring for it. That's a horrible spirit. Because that, that's a spirit that cannot make heaven its home. And it doesn't belong in the church. You're going to get somewhere, it's because you're going you're gonna to labor for it. You're going to work for it. You're not going to have anything in your so-called spiritual bank. You don't ever pray, I don't ever fast, I don't ever read my Bible. The bank is empty. And when it's time to pay, you go, okay, I'll just write a check. The son had the idea, they know, I'll just use my card. Well, sooner or later, someone wants that. They want to be paid. Good, good preaching. Thank you both very much. Let's stand and I don't believe that you can love others. Sister McKenzie, I don't think we can love others if our lamps are empty. I just don't. I think what we do is worry about ourselves, and that's more than we can handle. But when our lamps are full, you can't help but look at people and, and just go, they're hurting and they're suffering and see people like Jesus sees them. I want to give you an opportunity. We're going to sing, and if you need to go, I'm going to dismiss you. God bless you. Hope you'll come Sunday. But if you want to come to the altar, you want to pray somewhere, this place is open for that. It's early. We've not gone late. 